From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 147, and today I'm joined by actor and writer Mike McFadden, who is most recently known for his work on the series Jan. And he also brought along his son, and I brought my son too. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I'm so excited. I almost said Pee-wee. What's the other one? Pee-wee's... Big Top Pee-wee. Big Top Pee-wee. With Playhouse. No, no, no. Sorry, Mike was saying something. You're so excited. I'm so excited, you guys. So we'll go around. I'm Jeremy. I have seen this film a couple times, but not in a long time. For I, I, It's been at least, it's got to be over 10 years. Uh, more. I'm Ephraim. I have not seen this film. I'm Jack. I've not seen this film, but I do know a little bit about it. Okay. I'm Mike. I saw this film probably 10 times. Within the first couple of years it came out. So you're obsessed with it. And then haven't seen it since. Yeah. Come like, on a little I, bit closer. I, I haven't I haven't seen it since I probably haven't seen it in maybe fifteen or eighteen years or something. So you were a big fan? I was a big fan. And I would say that it would be like the pieces of like comedic art that is like one of the biggest influences me on me as a comedy writer. Like I put it up there with Monty Python and Homestar Runner. Oh, amazing! Of like Homestar Runner is so good. <laughs> you should watch Homestar Runner. Are you okay. from? It's like an online thing. Oh, it's so good. Homestar Runner. I haven't watched Homestar those, Runner in forever. In the big commitments montage of like, what are your influences? Those are, those are mine. Those are great <laughs> ones. That's wow! I didn't. That's I love that. I don't know if I know anyone that that Pee Wee was like his big. Uh, one of his big inspirations. Yeah. And then, well, this movie in particular. So what? So before we get to you, Jack, I just wanted, do you know anything about Pee Wee Herman? Ephraim? Nope. Amazing. Ephraim is going in as cold as you can. I think all you know is who directed it. Uh, who? Uh, Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. isn't a great reference for you because the last Tim Burton film you watched was the remake of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Uh, and you were not impressed, <laughs> nor was anyone else in the world. Uh, so, Jack, what do you know about this movie, without spoiling too much for you from? I know, like, kind of know why he's on his, this, like, big adventure. Okay. Uh, and I know that, like, I know there's, like, I think my dad mentioned there's, like, kind of a jump scare at one point. Oh, yeah, don't mention, yeah, yeah, don't, stop, stop there. I don't want you to know what that is. That's all I know. Yeah. There's a... Oh, wow. And do you know... <laughs> the, two very different approaches to this type of oh, parenting challenge. Do you, you, you give a <laughs> heads up? I've got like a secret like knee squeeze to just... And I've already prepped him to know so that he has a warning so he knows that it's coming. Oh, I'm the author. Like, I, I, I disarm sure him. <laughs> I want him to be as unaware as possible. I love it. <laughs> but um, the thing was, I, watching it, I don't know how old it was when this movie came out. Like maybe it was like... 16 or 17 I it that was a there was a moment that actually genuinely like scared me and I made a loud noise well, that what, embarrassed me what year is it it's gotta be I can look it up on the the download file uh it's gotta be in the 80s right uh yeah late 80s uh it is oh, 80, or no, 85 85 yes yeah, so I would have been yeah. 4 when it came out <laughs> I didn't see I saw it on home video or on TV or something right and I would have been 13 I just, I, you know what, I, I saw it at like, I think it was one of those movies I saw at my, a friend of my dad's house, where they put all the kids in the basement and they're like, we're here watching a movie. Right. And that's what they put on, was Pee-wee, and that was, so that was my first oh, time cool. watching it, and I'm like, what is this? 
so do you know the backstory? Do you know anything about Pee Wee Herman besides that little story? No. So it started off as a stand-up comic routine, right? It, it was and it was adult, like very adult. Yeah. And then they did this movie, and it became this big family cult hit. And then they realized, oh, there's an audience for Pee Wee in children's entertainment. And then he got this kid show out of it. But I also think there was like an off-Broadway show. Yeah, somewhere that, in there. That was before the movie as well. But he was that a was, that he was, was a, an a, adult stand-up guy as the Pee Wee Herman right. character. And I think he's from the Groundlings, one of the original folks from the Groundlings like comedy troupe. I know this is Tim Burton's first feature. Yep. Like, before this, he directed a bunch of short films. I short films. And Lini, so, like, you know, he's no slouch. And but. he was uh, an animator for Disney for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, in their commercial department. Oh, and, yeah. And, okay. Well, he did Frank and Weenie with Disney, right? Right. But he was one and, of the Disney animators. And I'm pretty sure it was Danny Elfman's first score. Yeah. He which and is crazy. Tim Burton and, uh, and Paul Rubens kind of decided, kind of discovered Danny Elfman. Okay. So, uh, so Danny Elfman owes his career to, uh, to, uh, this. He isn't you, that much else. Have you, you, have know, you ever seen the Simpsons theme? Have you <laughs> ever seen the, um, there's this great, uh, funnier, I think it's a funnier die video. That's, uh, Tim Burton basically pitching like a new movie. And it's, uh, and I can't remember what it was, but it was around the time when he was doing all the Disney remakes when he was like, he went from like Alice in Wonderland to... Dumbo. It was like oh, it was before right. Dumbo, but it was like he was doing all these things in a row, and it was just basically they were making fun of like the Tim Burton formula, how you could just slap it on anything. <laughs> and he, at one point, he just pulled out a cell phone, and it only had two buttons on it, and one was Helena Bonham Carter, <laughs> and the other one was Danny Elfman. <laughs> uh, which I guess Don, Johnny Depp should have been a third button on there. Now that I think about it, yeah. But none uh, of those. Other than Danny Elfman, none of those mm-hmm. tropes have developed yet at no. this stage. It's very much... Mm-hmm. No, this is like fresh, we're getting like un, like unabridged discovery mode uh, Tim Burton. And the other thing, uh, I won't get into too much because it kind of gives away a, the plot, which you sort of know, I think, but that this is basically like a satire on a very famous foreign film. It is? Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. I won't say what the foreign film is because the title will give it away. But we can, I can bring that up after. Uh, I can guess, actually, but anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, I guess, should we... Because Ephraim doesn't know anything. Nope. Meh. And that's a good place to go in. Uh, let's just get into it. I'm super excited that this is, like, a well-loved movie for you. It's, like, it's so good. It's one of my favorites. It's so... I, so we'll talk know, after the podcast. You know it super well. Great. All right, let's dive in. Let's all go to the lobby. So we just finished. Yep. And yeah. it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Ibram. Yeah. Funny. Did you like it? Yep. Yeah. So what were you expecting? You knew nothing. Yep. I but, knew nothing. But what were you thinking? Just given that it was called Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I was like, you didn't. I, even ha- I knew he was gonna go on adventure because. Because it's time. yeah. But you didn't. I, I I think I realized now. Like, did you even have a frame of reference of what Pee Wee Herman looked like? Nope. You knew nothing. Wow. So what did you? So let's talk about that. Like, what did you think about Pee Wee Herman as a character? That's a good question. Now. Well, just in general, like, what, what were your thoughts on him as you're watching him? Like, he's a grown-up adult male living in this house and acting kind of like a child, you could say. <laughs> Like what's that? Talk about. Let's talk about like the, just the way he's introduced past the dream, like his tour de France yeah. dream, which I totally forgot about. <laughs> like, what did you think of this character in the first couple of minutes of the film? What were you thinking? Like he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack. Uh. Yeah, I I found it a bit jarring at the beginning, and I was like, "Whoa, this is weird," and yeah. then. As it went on, I got more on board with it. Yeah. Yeah, it takes... Same. Yeah, because the tone is just kind of really over... I think Mike summed it up really well when we were watching that. It's like, it's essentially a cartoon. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, uh, yeah. he'll go from one... Like, he'll, you know, he slides down the pole from his, the second floor and then onto the first floor, and oh, he's changed. Yeah, yeah. He's out of his pajamas and into his gray yeah. suit. Yeah, and I think that's just that's the tone for it's like... 
you kind of have to let anything that happens just go. Like, all of a sudden, he'll just be in a new costume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That seems like two seconds later, and that's just that's just how this movie, the world in which this movie takes place works. Yeah. But weren't you going to, like, say a few things when we were watching, but then you saved it for this? Oh, there's so many things. I, I don't know specifically what you, uh, what you referred to. Was there a moment you remember? Oh, when we were... I think it was just after when Pee-wee is fighting... Francis in the pool and he's all wet and then the next scene he's like like he's like leaving the house and he's like all dry and then he's like fell in some dirt and then the next scene there's like no dirt on his suit oh I was gonna say it's just that it's just the rules of this world are just that nothing matters or makes sense and that's okay right it's a cartoon Mm -hmm. but yeah he has that that bag, that hobo bag with him but he never uses it or needs it and all of a sudden it's gone one time yeah, I'll just, just take the giant hitchhiking thumb out of it, I think. Yeah, it's, it's there to have whatever he needs in it. Yeah. Maybe a spare suit, but it's just, yeah, it's just the rules of this world are that everything can be reset in the next scene. Yeah. I mean, there's also, he bumps his head at the, uh, at when he's doing the bull riding, mm-hmm. has amnesia, the next morning all he remembers is the Alamo, and they all cheers, and I guess that's the joke, because after that, his memory is back. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just about them saying... Him saying, remember the Alamo, like yeah. the state motto of Texas. And they're like, yeah. And then, but then, yeah, that's it. It, it was yeah. just a joke to get to that. And then he remembers suddenly. Yeah. Um, did you, what, did, were you have a moment at all early on thinking like, this is the main character? Like, we're going to follow this guy? Or were you kind of like, oh yeah, okay, this is the star of the movie and I'm going to follow his story without any problems? Like... No, not really. I was just kind of like, I was like surprised at the at how much your like, dad loved this movie. <laughs> no, at like or at, how much it explained your at father. Like his his like personality. I feel like especially if you know nothing, like going in, like diving right in, it's like very jarring. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it the tone is very specific. It's interesting. Well, Ephraim was wondering because uh, I did a really bad. Pee Wee Herman impression when we were talking about it earlier, uh, before, and Ephraim asked, was that the guy from Scrooge? And I was like, no, that's Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> but it's a similar thing in that he, mostly it's just that he goes from one pitch to another. Yeah, like, yeah, he'll yeah. do yeah. Like high voice stuff, but then sometimes he'll have a little bit of more of a, a growl to Yeah, I can't Francis. do Pee Wee, but, but my, my, uh, my Bobcat is on, on. Oh, do I'm, it. Do I'm it. not going to do it on command. Maybe cool. I'll do it a little bit later. I can't now. now I'm thinking because my head's in Pee Wee. Bob can't go through it. How does he start? It's like sometimes down there, this is good. Then it goes up high. Mess you up. <laughs> yeah. I spent a long time working yeah. on my bobcat when I was younger. It's the it's the Pee Wee Herman voice, but with just add like lots of alcohol. Yeah, yeah and, some, and grit and grittiness. There's a yeah. grit to uh, Bobcat. We can sound like this, and then it comes up really high. And it's the speed at which you do it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and he's definitely an acquired taste. Like before, we agreed to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was PB's Big Adventure was on our list of like family movies to watch at home because we do that thing called Friday Night Movie where like me and Jack and uh, and my wife Christine will watch a movie together on a Friday night. And when it was coming up, like, hey, we're thinking maybe Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That was like one of the rare movies that Christine said, um, okay, well, you know, you guys can watch that on your own. Like, she had no really? interest. No, she, she'd seen it before? Or just had no interest in it? I think she knew enough about Pee Wee Herman to know she didn't want two hours of Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. <laughs> which, I, which I get. That's fair. <laughs> which I get. Like, he's a larger than life character, but you just have I to love him. enjoy the over the top cartoonishness of it. You, either, yeah. It's the kind of thing, like you said, it's an acquired taste. You're either on board or you're not. It, but also, I do think that the, the plot of the movie makes what is ultimately kind of like a sketch comedy character into someone that you really root for and care about because there's a genuinely important story happening. There's a big thing happening in his life. And I think they do a marvelous job of establishing how much he loves his bike. Yeah. To the point where by the time he loses his bike, like it's like, Oh man, he lost his bike. So yes, he's like this crazy character, but he's a crazy character who 
is going through something awful and we want to see him solve his big problem. Yeah. Right. So do you know what classic movie I was saying that this was... I'm guessing it's The Bicycle Thief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not, it's, I haven't actually seen, but... Uh, Plot-wise, it's nowhere near it, but I think... <laughs> if you told me this was a shot-for-shot remake of The Bicycle <laughs> Thief, I would have been very surprised. And, and impressed. <laughs> uh, no, it's not by any means. The story is, is, is very... is quite different, but I think the inspiration, part of it was drawn from that. Right. Uh... Although I'm not sure how, now that I've rewatched it. Well, I forgot. The, bi- the Bicycle Thief is from what? Like 19... Oh, like the 40s. 40 or, or 30 or I don't 20. know. I'm making that up. It's it's an old movie. Uh, I forgot large chunks of this. I, I had very... I think I remembered um, like the mall scene. I forgot how many times they do that tipping things over domino effect joke. There's at least <laughs> three. I counted three by the end. There was the bicycles, the motorcycles, and then they did it with trees. On the Warner Brothers lot. Oh, yeah. I missed the trees one. I missed yeah. the trees. Oh. Tim Burton really liked that gag. There was sections of this movie that I could have recited verbatim with the screen because, like, me and my... It got into, like, my friend's, like, vocabulary of things we'd say to each other. Which ones? Just, just you know what? Really random stuff. Like, saying, like, and knitting, and knitting, and knitting. Like, oh, just yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of a thing. Or, like... But I completely forgot that Twisted Sister is in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's a, this is like a, oh yeah. The band that, like, there, there's like the music video, yeah. like the heavy metal music video. That was a, that was a real band. I, I know who Twisted Sister is. You do? Really? Okay. So they're like a one hit wonder band, but at the time we didn't know they were only going to be a one hit wonder. I thought they were a really big deal. I had their tape. I listened to it a lot. Maybe only the first song on side one, but. And then you rewind it. And then you rewind it, played again. Uh, so there was, it was, it is, it's kind of funny how it feels like this sort of, world unto itself that is like timeless and untouched by like the outside world and the odd reference to the 80s, the 80s like yeah. Mr. T cereal or Morgan Fairchild or something that is like Milton Burl. Yeah, I know exactly. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Hollywood. And like the shot at the beginning where you see like the dog's bowl and then it's that's just a great yeah. out, that is just a great just, yeah, comedy shot because you think that it's like, oh, the ball, he's gonna get, the dog's gonna get bigger as he gets closer, but no, the bull is so, he, it's just a good forced perspective thing where you're expecting the dog to be this, like, a relative size to the bull, but when he yeah. comes up, it's like, no, the bull's still huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just very happy to hear that that the two people who hadn't seen this movie before were laughing pretty much all the way through. Yeah, yeah it was great. Well, just, little, I forgot little details like the fish tank in the window. Yeah. House. <laughs> oh yeah. Just a little stuff like that where it's just yeah. like, well, how is that? What yeah. did he install a fish tank in that window? Uh, or are they underwater? Just like little. Yeah. The whole breakfast sequence is amazing. The fact that they're, he put- they're in the opening sequence, like the dream, and then him like having his breakfast. Having up, there are more day. ideas. There are more little comic flourishes in that sequence than that there are in entire movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the joke density in this movie is amazing. I think that's one of the reasons why I, like, hold it in such high regard because it's got this really strong spine of a story but then is just going gangbusters just putting in, like, joke to joke to joke to joke to joke and most of them don't move the story forward. They yeah. just are yeah. for fun. And they're not and for I everyone. And they're, and they're different tones, too. Though. There's ones that are kind of darker where you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's that great little blood one where it's like, Fake blood, or is it? It's like little things that like would pass probably over a kid's head, but the adults yeah. go, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, oh, the oh. I, I always remembered the, one of the things that stuck out for me was the mystery was, was the breakfast sequence because as a kid I was always like, he had this amazing breakfast and then he just destroyed it with sugar cereal, and then he never ate any of it. <laughs> that yeah. bothered me for some reason. Three bites and he was stuffed. Yeah. Well, because yeah. the establishment was like a 96-pound weakling. Yeah. He, he lifts the dumbbells once and it's like, oh. He barely lifts them. <laughs> They're like five-pound dumbbells. And he gets them to like just just under his shoulders. He would finish his workout. Yeah. He did. He did. He, he did. He did that set to failure. He could run. Yeah. Let's say yeah. Pee-wee has his cardio down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of bike he's rides. A, he's an ultra-marathoner if he wants to be. Yeah. Uh, I forgot... Like, some of the stuff I forgot about, but then remember, it's like, oh, that was a huge part of my childhood, 
was the what I my family referred to as the Pee Wee Herman dance that he does to oh, yeah. tequila. Yes, <laughs> I used to do that dance all the time. Whoa! And my parents were like, "Do the Pee Wee dance." I remember that now. Do it. I do it. no, I can't. I will. I'll do it for you. Well, this, this is a, this is not a visual medium, people. Right. The audience <laughs> is not going to get the. Uh, yeah. But it's that whole. I told Ephraim he should. We should yeah. t- uh, tweet Fortnite and try to get them to, to develop that as a, a dance for the game. <laughs> but it's just, it's basically it's just a lot of moving your hands in front of you and behind you. But I remember getting that dance down and being and doing that dance over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. There's a really funny like little audio clip of uh, another podcast we listen to called Mobim Bam, where they're joking about it. Um, that you should listen to. It's I don't think it's appropriate for you you from. Nah. But it, it's just it's really funny. Um, and it's just about that. And that's that's all I knew. I had seen my dad had showed me that scene for context about what they were talking about because they were talking about the dance. Um, Wait, is it, when they're talking about the dance, they're saying, "Well, the dance is easy. It's just like junk, junk, butt, butt, junk, yeah. junk, butt, butt." But they, yeah. but and it you just like gotta squat. So you basically go into like a like a like a lunge, a half lunge. <laughs> yeah, uh, front and back leg lunge, and, and yeah, and and like point your fingers at your butt and then at your crotch over and over again. It was the yeah. dance sensation that was sweeping the nation. If you hear my dance. Because I think whenever I did it, I would do like a peewee impression. Like, that was my peewee Herman dance. So Mike mentioned a jump scare at the beginning when we were talking earlier. Oh my god, that was so funny. It actually got you. Yeah, but it was still funny. And ridiculous. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things, again, is it's like, it's not like, it's, you know, he has his goal, like you say, he's got to get his bike back. You know, it's very simple, it's very primal, universal. Uh, and then it's just a series of these episodic things that don't really account or matter. Uh, it's just a, a series of sketches, like you said, because it's not like this is the kind of movie that's following, you know, progressive screenplay structure where it's like, this happens, and then therefore this happens, and therefore this happens, and things kind of pile onto each other. It's more this happens, and then this happens, and they may not really that be they, that connected. They could have happened in any order. The lo- yeah, they but have eventually we'll get to a point where it's like uh, there will be a story turn eventually, but it's like every yeah, it's every the five loose- joke scenes there might be something that matters for the plot. Yeah, and then the loosest Dang connection it. where it's like running away from the the big dude in the red shirt makes him jump into the train, which makes him meet that that guy. Yeah, and then there's a bit there, and he jumps out and he lands here, and now he's there. So there's like the smallest of transitions between these things. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing is is just wonderful and bonkers. And I love that they they do a lot of like very classic. Comedy jokes. Yeah, I, I laughed way, way more than I was expecting to. Yeah, <laughs> the but the the like the way they do it is so good. Like very close to the beginning, there's a scene where he, he's like locking up his bike and he has a chain lock, and he's just he just keeps pulling out. Yeah, it's a clown car. Yeah, out, <laughs> out, and it's like, and you think it's like, it's like is. Uh, 20 meters of chain or 50 meters of chain and then it cuts to like him trying to like lock it and and it's like three times that and you can't see the bike bike. yeah and they still cut through it all yeah yeah there's that there's a couple of those clown car jokes there's another one where uh it's not even a clown car joke it's and that's what's great about the comedy in this movie and i can see why it's so influential for you mike that it's just like there's a lot of different types and kinds there's a lot of physical there's visual, there's yeah. wordplay. Yeah. Like, they're really playing out a whole bunch of cylinders. And, and one that I really liked was the uh, kind of the overdone joke where it's like it goes too far and then it gets funny again. And I laughed really hard. It was when all the bicycles kept on passing them by. Yeah. Like the insult <laughs> injury. And then all of a sudden the little one went by. That's the one that got me. Because it yeah. it's just at the point where I'm like, okay, we get it. And then, oh, great. You did it. Okay. Yeah. I'm still in. Yeah. You brought it yeah. back. Good for you. Just holding on to be too long until it's funny again. And yeah. that scene, there was one where they, they had like... A, a tandem bike that I'm saying this in air quotes because like seven people were on it. Yeah, the but I was super. <laughs> but I was super prepared for it to be another like clown car joke of like, and it just goes on forever. 
Well, they would. That would. The hard thing. I mean, now they could. Tim Burton, if he was making this movie now, he would just do that with CGI, right? Yeah, and you could do that. But then you you needed you need to create that actual well, bite. And I will say that the difference between me watching this when I was like a teenager and me watching it now is there's a little bit of me that is going to always be watching it as a, as a TV writer who understands how, how production works and knows that there was no CGI in a 1985 movie, and so there was stuff where I was like. The part of me was just doing a little bit of like movie accounting, going. I think they just spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a on a one second joke. Which one? Like, which well, ones? like or, or whatever, like just like it's a shot of the highway, and there's like an ambulance going down the road with like a twelve biker, like a fleet of bikers just yeah. riding with it. It's like <laughs> poof, off to the hospital. It's like. What is that? Is that one hundred and twenty thousand dollars right there? Well, I don't know. They had, they, had, they had a couple of ambulances throughout. I'm sure they. You run out of the studio door. You go make a hard left. Oh, there's two elephants in your way, and one's painted blue and one's painted pink. And yeah. then you go the other way. It's a, like a future nod to Dumbo. Did they have a second of screen time. Like I, I, I rode an elephant into an episode of teen comedy, and I, like they were like you're cheap. insane. Well, here's what I think because it was a Warner Brothers movie, right? I bet you. They have elephants on retainer, just like no. I, th- I I wonder. I, I if I can think of because this was a low budget movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget was. We could look it up. I'm sure, but I can only imagine for that final sequence where he's just racing around the lot. Mm-hmm. They just went around going, "What do we got? Right? What can we use? Yeah. None of it matters." And they probably had two elephants there for something else. Right. And it's like we got to put elephants right. into the movie. Well, hang like your elephants for an extra day. Or something, and, and or give us ten minutes with them. Right, it's it's one shot. You know, I think in all those sets, which is like that end sequence has enormous production design, but it's all shot in the back lot of Warner's. Right, and it doesn't matter if you see the real world in in the frame because it takes place in the back lot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's the beauty of it is that they got to yeah. roam around and just shoot all these great different locations without it probably costing a cent because it's already a Warner Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then like so, I think some of the elephant was wasn't probably in the script, where two elephants like, are there, right? I was just like, oh my god, the two elephants! Let's have them go down that alley, and the two elephants are there, like right. stuff like uh, the uh, the matte painting of the studio wall. Yes, <laughs> was, prob- yeah. was probably yeah. in the script because yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. such a specific <laughs> joke. Yeah, that they have a matte painting of their actual back lot is amazing. Uh, but I can imagine that some stuff they probably just had, like the elephants I can only imagine they had and they took advantage of. I don't know if the God, the Godzilla stuff feels like it probably was scripted. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Oh yeah, that sequence where they're just going through the sets, it's like, they go through like, I went out of the beach and then they go through like... <laughs> Santa Claus. It's all these movies, yeah. it's like they're making, it's they're going through the sets of all these movies that would have been made in like the 50s or something. Yeah. yeah. I want to see that Christmas one with the gingerbread and, and costumes. Just yeah. dancing. Yeah. Randomly. Yeah. That was kind of... Or the, the beach movie? Who makes like beach... And beach, like the beach people? Beach yeah, that was, like an El, that was like an Elvis or was it yeah. uh, Like the beach Frankie people and, just fall into the snow. It's like... Ridiculousness. There was so much of this. I was, I you know, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I it's one of my favorite movies, and it still is. I'm happy to say, because so, sometimes things don't age as well as you expect them to. And I yeah, think this is perfect. I loved it. So we were when you guys uh, stepped out for a second to go to the bathroom before we started rolling. Ephraim was asking about we were talking with Danny Elfman, the composer of the movie, because I, I I for some reason I guess I didn't really think about the score when we were sitting down to watch this. But it starts right away, and as soon as I heard it, it was just like, oh, it's such a great, iconic score that I didn't remember for whatever reason. This big, like, circusy kind of music. It's so yeah. great. Uh, but then Ephraim was asking, it's like, has Danny Elfman done many other scores that I would know? And he's like, yeah, pretty much every score. Yeah. <laughs> but I was struck by, because I know a lot of his big ones, obviously. It's like, it's either Danny Elfman or John Williams. Or John Williams. Well, there's there's about five big composers, yeah. but and Elfman is one of them. Mm-hmm. But it's like what what struck me is in 1997 in particular. Here's just an example of the ver- variety of what this guy does. Because I was going, I was just going through with Ephraim his filmography, and what struck me more was like all the more like kind of regular movies he's done, quote oh, yeah? unquote. Like in 1997, he did three films. He did Men in Black, Flubber. Mm-hmm. And Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. Whoa. 
he was the composer for Good Will Hunting, but also like a simple plan, civil mm-hmm. action. Um, Cause you know, like the Family Man, he did. Like, you know, sleeping. You know, he's doing everything that Burton's doing. Yeah, and you you think of him as writing a kind of score that really is sort of foreground in the experience. Yeah, really like big. But, but then in Red Dragon, always... he did. Uh, what else was in here that shocked me? Uh, Nacho Libra, Charlotte's Web, The Kingdom. Uh, Terminator Salvation kind of surprised me. Really? I don't know why. That one just doesn't... Because that feels more like... But also, like, he's dipping into someone else's playground there because the Terminator scores are so... Yeah, they have a a language already established. Mm -hmm. So for him to dip into a world that's already kind of done feels... is an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, What what really, really struck me this time, and and I remembered a lot of this stuff, was just how much, just knowing, you know, Tim Burton's filmography from then until now, and having seen pretty much, I, I, I don't know if there's many of his black holes that I have. I haven't watched Dumbo yet, but I think I've pretty much seen every Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of his visuals are established here that he repeats throughout and does stuff with? Like, you've seen Beetlejuice, right, Eve? Yeah. Like, all those... Like he's, it's, it hasn't been a, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, but like those, those, the that uh, nightmare dream sequence he has, like he's using the same kind of uh, like those very German expressionistic, like different angles and sharp right. colors yeah. and all that kind of stuff is is there where it later reappears in Beetlejuice, you know? Right. He's mm-hmm. using you know, his 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 like we we mentioned in the in the preamble that. His background is like a Disney animator, right? He's got, you know, really brief seconds with the eye, sequence with the eyes in the black, where it's like animated eyes that you're meant to remember right. his. But then also yeah. there's like that stop motion. There's stop motion with Large Marge, is a stop motion moment. But then also there's a, a part of the dream sequence, there's a stop motion, and later on he's gonna do Corpse Bride. And nightmare before, right, yeah. and nightmare before Christmas. Yeah, you know, so it's like Love nightmare before. Christmas. But that, but it's just interesting. If you watch this, his first film, and it's like this guy was just exploding with ideas. Yeah, and yeah. he tried to fit, and like most, you know, first time filmmakers, try to fit them all into one thing because <laughs> who knows if he'll ever make another right, film. Right, right, right. But I mean, there's, I would, I would guess. That a first-time filmmaker trying to put every good idea they they could possibly muster into one movie doesn't use isn't usually the best course of action. No, yeah. But this happens to be a movie that can totally like allow it's that. Just, it's a movie that's like give me more, give me more, give me more. Because there's like a bajillion ideas on the page, and to have somebody who's gonna gonna go nuts with the visuals on them and make like there is I don't think there's a there's hardly a shot in this movie that is just a shot. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, establisher over the shoulders, close ups and we're out like, like there's There's something going on in every frame. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I can only imagine. I don't know how Burton got involved in the project. I didn't look it up. Um, but I can only imagine that was part of the selling point for whoever decided to hire him. Right. Was that was just how much he packs into a frame in terms of his ideas and just where, and just knowing whatever that, whatever the script was. That holy shit! It's like this guy is gonna bring something unique to it, right? Or you know, he probably came in to do the meeting and was like, "With this sequence, I want to do this, and with this, I want to do this," and yeah. and moving on. Um, Phil Hartman. <laughs> I forgot that Phil Hartman was the co-writer. Yeah, he's one of the um, one of the three yeah. quote, uh, credited writers and has a moment at the end of the film. Yeah, he's got a cameo in the film and. Phil Hartman is a connection to the other thing that I was seeing echoes of here. And maybe it's just about what, where comedy was in like 85 moving into the nineties. But I feel like there's a lot of, I get a real Simpsons vibe. Yeah. And some of Danny Elfman from the jokes that very much from Danny Elfman, but the jokes and like, you know, there's not many times like the Simpsons can't resist having a sign. There's a sign for anything in a shot or an establishing shot. There's going to be a joke. Yeah. In the name or on the, you know. And so there was definitely some of that, like with the psychic. It was like palm readings, tarot cards, you know, taxes prepared. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Like, that's a total Simpsons. And Ibram's just starting to slowly go through all the Simpsons. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like for for the scenes, it's like you you know when you're like watching a movie and it's like and you're just um and there's like all these like talking scenes like come on let's get to the action <laughs> this is not one of those movies it's like action 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 you're gonna hate your dad's movies when you get older <laughs> I'm gonna slap you right you're like oh dad when is the talking gonna be done yeah. you know what I would say, maybe that's part of why I like this movie so much and still do but also one of the things that I had to learn it took a it took a few it took a few cracks at it to learn it. But one of the things that I had to learn when I was first starting to become a writer for for TV and for theater before that is to recognize that all this sort of blah 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 just get to the action scenes in the movies that I had seen up until then. They were important scenes that made the rest of the movie make sense, yeah. Yeah. and that a lot of people really listen to those scenes. So you actually have to write them. You can't just sort of go blah yeah. blah blah yeah. blah. But the more interesting you can chase. But to your, but to Ibram's in that in your point is that it's like the more interesting you can make them. Yeah, that's kind of your it, job. If you make yeah. like a talking scene interesting, it's interesting. But like if you don't. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta set it's it. Not interesting. Yeah, you gotta stage action around it. You gotta put it in an interesting setting. Do something yeah. unique with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even in this movie, it's just like they go to have that conversation and watch the sunset. They don't just go outside and watch the sunset. <laughs> they go inside of a giant dinosaur's body and, and watch and it through the teeth. So it's sitting on the tongue of a T-Rex. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that could have just been outside. You know, that's, yeah. that's a great example of yeah, that. Yeah, it's like... It's just... Yeah, and again, maybe it's like who knows how much of that... I think I read somewhere where that, that, that dinosaur existed. And so I think... It, yeah, I think it's... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure your um, your listeners will will mail in corrections. Yeah. If I'm wrong, but I think that those dinosaurs are part of some kind of like creationist museum somewhere in the states. Like it's like yeah, maybe yeah, some kind of. I'm like, sure. Well, I feel I I feel like this kind of movie was almost you know a production designer's for sure wet dream, but also lo- a locations person because oh, yeah. I'm sure at some point they're like. Give us a list of wonky great things that we can just do, and, and the, we'll just put it in the script. Yeah, yeah. and they'll yeah. no work their way into it because yeah. yeah, none of this that, really matters. That yeah. um, that scout probably got paid a lot. Well, they, the thing about location scouts, they just know what exists. Yeah, and they, I think they all have a bunch of places that mm-hmm. they are dying to get into a movie, but no one wants to use because it's too weird or it's too far away or yeah. it's, Whatever. I'm sure they had a photo out like, and they just started pulling it. out stuff. It's like, what about this? What about this? What it's about like, this? Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and Tim Burns is like, all of it. <laughs> Give yeah. me all of those weird things. Yeah. I want to make a movie where I don't use any locations anyone has ever used before. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Oh, yeah. I'll get out the good binder. Well, I have four <laughs> different world's largest balls of twine you can visit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> what can I do with twine? What can we do with twine? Uh, but I wonder if that's not how they did this and it makes me think of like because we I mean we approach screenwriting I think we, we approach from like the low budget yeah. world Mike where it's just like don't write anything you can't afford to do yeah. where I think what this movie did and a lot they of movies do things that they yeah. they knew existed they could but that's do. the other low budget trick is like figure out what you got mm-hmm. and write to it what cool things you have that you can just work in or but even, just write something and try to get it Yep. yep, that's true too. Like one one thing that was interesting that I um, learned listening to a podcast was the uh, for the Mission Impossible movies, uh, especially now that like basically Christopher McQuarrie is just like directing all of them, is basically when they're in pre production and they have like a rough outline for the script before they've actually kind of written the full script. He and Tom Cruise just go on like basically a world tour. And start visiting places they want to shoot in, mm-hmm. oh. and they walk around and they figure out what the set piece is going to be. Amazing, oh, and that, and, yeah, then, and then they, cool. and then they write to the location, which I'm like, that of course that makes sense because they're so spe- spe- specific to those locations that, yeah. yeah, of course that's how you do it. You yeah. don't just and the locations are so good too. Yeah, in those yeah. movies, they're and really that's good. you know that's just yeah. filmmaking. That's just kind of like a smart way, and, and indie filmmakers do that too. It's like if you know locations, you've got access to mm-hmm. walk around them and just. Think of what you can do in them, but I, there's a the the thing I love about this movie is the not just I mean I mentioned how much like oh that shot how much did that shot cost, but there's also just like just the trouble that they went to for a joke such little jokes, and it reminds I always think of this I 
I don't know if it's Penn or Teller who says this joke, but they they in talking well, about magic. Well, only only Penn would say the joke. Well, no, no, they both do interviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was it was talking about magic and saying like, what's the secret to like you know a career in magic or or a good magic show? And he was saying we work harder than you think the jokes are work. Yeah, are worth. Are worth. Yeah, yeah. Like like you know to be able to just show up at a party and if someone says hey you got a trick. And you go, oh, sure, here, ba 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 ba. But what you don't realize is that to be able to do a couple of tricks at a party, it's like that afternoon you're like going through twelve decks of cards to pull out only the aces, and you're putting some in your shoe, and some in your pocket, and some in a in an orange, and you've got live doves in your armpit folded <laughs> up, and it's like you're working way harder than anyone for people to go, huh? And like you know, the fact that there was a rat wrangler on this set. To chase, like, again, no CGI, to chase, like... 20 rats. At least 20 rats out a doorway. Oh, yeah. For, like, one shot of the Save the Pets from the Burning Pet Store sequence. Yeah. Like, like I know that's not... I mean, I know that... That gorilla was amazing. Oh, the the orangutan or chimpanzee. Yeah, Yeah. like... If that was a gorilla, that would have been far more impressive. Yes, that would have been far more dangerous, too. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was a baby gorilla, like a small gorilla. That was a chimp or a bonobo. Possibly. Yeah. Very trainable. Yeah. But Um, still, it's like... All those animals. It's like... (laughs) Well, what else? There was ducks. There was doves. A lot of ducks. He pulled snakes out with his bare hands. Well, the snake was great. Yeah, they were garden snakes. When he was holding them, they were rubber snakes. They were garden snakes. But there was a couple of... I think when he first came out in screen, they were real. But then in the wider shots, they were fake. No, I think that's the shot they were real. Lying on the ground, that was the only shot they were fake. When he had them in his hands. Really? I was looking. They looked pretty rubber. Maybe it was a bit of both. Yeah. But it's really quick, so you don't notice. And also, you just went through a montage of very real animals running yeah, out of a yeah, smoky yeah. building. So, as long as it's quick, your brain accepts it as real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just I think that this is an example of a movie that is going to work harder than we think the jokes are worth. But ultimately, we do. Like, there's just, like, you know, fish swimming in the window or... You know, yeah. and, and it's funny that they, it's almost like they, they needed that sequence of him saving all those pets because he just stole the bike. Yeah. And so it's like, that's the thing that allows it for it to be okay that he gets yeah. the bike back because he's willing to lose the bike again to save all these animals. Right. He's ultimately proving that he's a good person. Yeah. Because yeah, hero he, making a sacrifice. He could have just drove away on his bike and, and kept the bike, but he decides to risk because he looks at the bike, looks at the burning building. Yeah. That's the hero's moment where he yeah. runs the bike back. Yeah. He gives up the thing that he wanted the most, or yeah. sac- or puts it at risk. Um, do you do you think seeing this movie explains me? <laughs> oh, or are wow. you surprised I like that movie? Uh, no, it, it like no, I I I understand it. I I like kind of get it in your writing like things like on how to be indie a show you wrote on there was a thing with like a giant rubber band ball and there was like three different versions and one was like half hollow so that it could roll over someone and one was like 40 pounds and another one was like Half the size, so that you could do a force perspectives thing. Well, they they ended up anyway. It was like the giant rubber band ball get, goes loose in the school, and there was a lot of like high stakes, like ah, it's chasing us, which is probably like stealing from like the epic feel of some of these sequences. Yeah, but uh, that, you know, it was actually funny. Like just as a sidebar, the 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 head of props did a little bit of like calculus and trigonometry, and came back and said, "So you want a rubber band ball that's about." Five feet in diameter, he said, and he came to us and said, "So that will weigh one point three tons." So we're not doing that. And then we eventually they got like the the biggest inflatable yoga ball they could find, and then just covered it yeah. in one layer of elastic bands. And it was, and then, but then, and it's so it's light as a feather. But when you roll it, they put a rumble in it. Why would they it. ever think of making a real one that big? They weren't making. They weren't thinking about it. They were. Okay. I think they were doing that math to talk us out of doing that yeah. joke at all. To sort of prove that, like that, probably is just yeah. not going to fly. Yeah, but well, then they then ended up say, finding a way to do it, yeah, and yeah, they yeah, were yeah, like, yeah. "Yeah, let's do it." Anyway, I would say, mm-hmm. as someone who's collaborated with you, uh, 
I can totally see how this influences just because you are so good at all these different types of comedy and you can just like, you can be so adaptable, which I think also speaks to your filmography. When you look at it, it's like you've, you've written on kind of every type of comedy from my like adult comedy to, to children's, you know, you can kind of be thrown into any type of comedy room and, and hold your own, which not a lot of people can do. I mean, yeah, I've been really lucky. Like, I've written for kids, teens, grown-ups, and for animation and live action. Mm. And But I, like, I often say, like, you know, I think writing for, like, say, different age groups, or whether it's animation or live action, is different genres of comedy. You could take two live action shows, like a, a, a kid's show like iCarly, and a, and a, and a adult show like, I don't know, Friends, have more in common than Friends has in common with, I don't know, Eastbound and Down. Right. Like, that's... the. So I feel like there's just... It's moving there's more between different genres, genres of comedy, and I feel like... Um, I don't know. I just I just love it all. But it also makes I love, me... I love to see how it's put together, but I also like to just forget how it's put together, too, and just laugh. Yeah. Mike also wrote what I think is still one of the best original spec pilots... Call. I'm gonna get the. I always get the title wrong because they get the order <laughs> wrong. But it's like Doctor Lawyer Cop. Cop Lawyer MD. Cop Lawyer MD. Cop Lawyer MD. My son knows the name of my comedy sample. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It uh, is. Thank you very much. But it's one of those things where it's just like again, it's that like, it reminds me of like Tim Burton style in here, where it's, uh, we're reading that pilot. I think the note I gave you was like, this is like the best writing sample I've ever read. I also don't know you, what you would do with the second episode because <laughs> every joke I could think of yeah. is in here. <laughs> There's a freedom to writing something as a writing sample where you're just like, this is just to try and get me some jobs. You'd have been in trouble if they'd ever picked that up. Oh man, if you uh, to make 10 of those would be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unpossible. Yeah. But I'd be willing to try. A fun challenge. Anyone out there is... Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll a be fun challenge. Dr. Lawyer MD. So good. Uh, so now, having seen this and knowing that there's another movie out there, yeah. we, are you interested in watching Big Top Pee-wee? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How familiar are you with Big Top Pee-wee, with this being such a, a, a big movie for you? I've seen uh, Big Top Pee-wee once. Oh! You didn't like it. Wasn't what I was. Uh, I was. I was disappointed. I don't remember it other than like it's about a circus. Yeah, and there's a pig. I don't and, remember, and I remember it super well either. I remember it being like a love story and oh, something yeah. about straw. I think I'm starting to wonder if I've seen the whole thing. Even I think they make out in the straw or something. Or there's probably one of those cliche thing where they fall into straw. I remember straw and right. they kiss. These are the things I remember. A big puppy week. Yeah, that's starting to ring a bell. Yeah, and then there's also, here's what I encourage you to do, though, just for your own uh, contextual understanding of what happened with Pee Wee after this, I'm sure it's on YouTube, check out any portion, if you can find a whole one, uh, of an episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse, just oh. to see that how this turned into like a, a Saturday morning kid show. Yeah, I would say that after this movie... The next movie wasn't all that successful, but then the kids show was quite successful. I watched that. It was it went for seasons. I was too old for that show when it came on the air, and I watched it because it was it was super funny. That's what I watched Pee Wee the most of. So I'd seen yeah. this movie, but Pee Wee, I watched I watched that show for sure. And I'm, and the the TV series has uh, quite a bit in common with the Off Broadway show. Ah, like that makes I think sense. Cherry. Oh yeah, he said, yeah. Was, was There's a chair called that. Cherry. That's like, basically <laughs> yeah. the mouth is, it can talk. Yeah. And but it's every, like, the sofa is the mouth. And then there is, there'd be a thing with the word of the day, where it'd be like, today's word of the day is... And whenever you hear it, scream real basically yeah. just like, make the kids watching TV really annoy their parents. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to suddenly yeah. scream And that's loud. the stuff, and there's a lot of like, the, the catchphrases from this, like, I know you are, but what am I? Like, stuff like that, that uh, gets repeated in there. There's a lot of wordplay in that, too. And I think a lot of the jokes or things I did as a kid that, yeah, would annoyed the hell out of my parents, mm -hmm. I got from Pee-wee. Like mm -hmm. what? Oh, I can't remember. I, I, well, we will watch an episode of Pee-wee's Pee Playhouse, and, uh, and I'll be able to flag them. I'll, I'll remember oh. them. Just like when I, when I saw that dance, I'm like, oh, my God, I did that dance as a kid, yeah. and I totally blacked it out. But the, sweet, the, the really great thing about Pee-wee's Playhouse is that for all the, like, 
like like genuinely funny jokiness and and weirdness to it had a heart to it it totally has a heart like it is definitely trying to be a good kids show for kids that age it's not trying to be like we're pretending to be a kids show but we're actually making jokes for all the like you know all the 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 frat boys who are watching this ironically like it, it is actually just trying to be a good kids show yeah so there's like there's a sweetness to it I don't want to get into specifics. Uh, there is an elephant in the room when it comes to Paul Rubens, who plays Pee-wee. Yeah, it's, I forget about that. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like people have forgiven it or letting it go. It's not I that it's bad. It's things where in retrospect, it's like, what was the big deal? Well, especially because of all the things that uh, things that have come out from 2018 and, and since yeah. then of all of, like, you know, the, the, the terrible behavior of, of people. Uh, that seems very small. He was essentially caught... Um, Pleasuring himself in a movie theater, right? Was that the big thing? In an adult cinema, yes. In an adult cinema, which is like, who cares? Really, it's not that big of a deal. But it was a huge deal at the time, and it kind of ruined his career for a bit. It was... No, I think, like, the series... I think his kid show got canceled or... That's why he got canceled, yeah. Well, because, I mean, I can see how that... Because he was a a child's entertainer. Yeah. But... I, I feel know. like it was a bit of an overreaction. I think it's also the kind of thing where he's not hurting anyone. That's literally what those theaters are designed for. Yeah, I'm sure he was not the only one arrested for the exact same thing that day. Yeah, that would but, be so, that wouldn't even make the front page now. That wouldn't even make page. Well, eight. it would be it would become like Twitter joke fodder for 48 hours, and then that would be it. And then no one would care. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and then there would be like a bunch of articles about how. And then like two weeks later, there'd be like a yes, yes, no on reply all. <laughs> About, about it. it. About some obscure tweet about it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's funny how, like, in in the time that's passed and all the th- stuff that's coming to light now, how small that is, but how big it was at the time. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. And, th- and then him becoming almost like a, a, the butt of, a, a, of, like, jokes. Yeah. Because and then I remember I, I had a friend who, like, went away, like, went backpacking in Europe, and then that turned into backpacking and, like... Asia for a bit or whatever and was basically away from home for like nine or ten or eleven months and then was back for a while and then somebody made some reference to like PB Herman and she had no idea because it was back when you know if yeah, you weren't no, at home you didn't talk to anybody you knew there was no social media there was maybe postcards and some very expensive phone calls home like very irregularly and, uh, and you weren't and talking so about that. It was that thing of like, what planet am I living on? Like, how could this have happened to PB Herman? And everyone else went like, how do you not know that? That happened like two years ago. Yeah. Hilarious. Uh, so final thoughts, guys. I liked the movie. You liked it? Yep. Would you give it a, what, would you give it a letter grade? Or, a, or a, on a scale of one to ten, how good oh. was it? Nine. Ten being the best movie ever nine. made. A nine? Nine. Hey. <laughs> that is a nine. high score. I've seen a lot of really fun movies. Yeah. I I I think I'm gonna give it a seven, and I I, I'd fair. say it's seven and a half. Here's the thing: I score this movie. I would score this movie pretty high too. On a curve, sure. Like if I'm if I'm grading this, I'm going. What are the best movies of all time? Oh well. Well, it's like, yeah, is this going to get... You can name hundreds. That's just it. There are going to be many that... I've watched thousands of movies, and most of them... Not most of them, but like a fair number of them will be ahead of this one. Mm-hmm. That said, for the kind of movie this is, it's one of the best yeah. there is. Just given how much... like All the stuff we've been talking about. How much is going on? How much inventiveness is going on? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a truly unique and original movie mm-hmm. that is like nothing that came before it. You know, so so for that, for me, it gets really high points. Yeah. yeah. I Yeah, I would agree. We know how you feel, Mike. But I'm not going to say it's the best, you know, I'm not going to say it's the best, move, one of the best movies of all time, but it's certainly one of my favorite, and but it's certainly one of the funnest movies of all time. I'd say it's one of the best comedies. I feel like two things time. have to happen now as a result of this. I feel like you have to give Big Top Pee Wee another shot. Okay. Just to see. Okay. Uh, and also, I think you have to uh, convince Christine to watch uh, this movie with you. <laughs> yeah. Just so that she can truly understand the man she's married to. <laughs> Maybe wait until you know, Dorothy's... You know, but I, gotta, I, 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 I have to retain some mystery, don't you think? Oh, a little bit. <laughs> and this is it? This is a the... little bit of a shadow? Or is there a little bit of shame? Is there a little bit... You, you don't want to reveal... 
It's like peeing in front of someone for the first time. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you want I wanna... just don't want her to think, oh my god, I married Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And it's, it's too like... late. Everything's all signed. Yeah, we have we a kid have, together. We have a kid together. Own property. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. like... I feel like the way the way you feel about pe- people, about Christine knowing about Pee Wee Herman in this scenario is how people feel about peeing in the pool. When everybody's out of the pool, they're like, yeah, everybody pees in the pool. Then when you're in it, you don't want to think about it. You're horrified. Wait a minute. You pee in pools? (laughs) (laughs) Shame. Uh, That's funny. That's a a really good analogy. Yeah, it's just everyone has a little freak flag. I think. So here's a question then. On that note, here's a good question to go out on. So this is a movie you've watched over and over again. It's a, I wouldn't even say it's a guilty pleasure. No, it's not. It's maybe with your wife. This is this is something you you are very proud of loving. What's like something, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie, Jack. It could be like any kind of pop culture thing. What's yeah. something that you find you return to a lot? Return to a lot. I'd say, and not in that it's like I watch every episode of this show. It's more like I return to specific things better and rewatch oh. things. Oh, hmm. um, I'd you have say, anything like that. I'd say like. I, I I watch, yeah, I watch a lot of, like, stand-up specials on Netflix. Like, me and my mom have guinea pigs, and their cage is in our TV room. So if I'm, like, if I'm, like, cleaning, cleaning their cage, or if I'm just, like, hanging out with them, I'll put on, like, Bo Burnham's What, or I'll put on, like, a John Mulaney special, and I'll just, like sit and listen to it and then sometimes I won't even watch it but I just find myself like because sometimes you're just too tired to watch something with a plot yeah oh for yeah. sure the we, comedy specials okay that's yeah. interesting we've watched we've listened to a lot of like uh, the the same like um Jim Gaffigan Jim or Gaffigan Brian Regan albums Brian in Regan. the car oh my god game. yeah and that's interesting because What's interesting about that, and I think that speaks to a specific kind of person, because I remember I listened to, uh, my dad had a bunch of Bill Cosby records, and again, you can't talk about Bill Cosby anymore, but mm-hmm. I listened to those things over and over again, and they were always funny to me. Yeah. Where it's, it's, it's funny, because comedy, I mean, in theory, it's like for the, for the lay person, you know, those things are, are meant to be listened to once, and the idea, it's the old adage that you can't laugh at the same joke twice. Right. You know, but I think what happens with people like us who kind of study comedy and enjoy like the nuances of it mm-hmm. is like we get off on how they've done it and, yeah. and, and starting to see how the how the magic trick comes together. Yeah, because yeah. when you, you first watch it, you're like you're surprised. Yeah. And then the second time you laugh, but mm-hmm. yeah, you don't find it as amusing. It's not you laugh for different reasons. Almost you laugh yeah. almost like as an appreciation yeah. For what they've done, what they've accomplished. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of comics that, like, you know, again, not someone that you're supposed to talk about anymore, but, like, Louis C.K. Uh, I remember, like, I was obsessed with him because he always seemed like he was just throwing, pulling stuff out of his ass and right. just throwing it out there. But it's like when you watch him try different jokes in different places in the same joke, you watch, like, the the evolution of it yeah. and how he's able to make it seem like he's just coming up with it on the spot mm-hmm. and just throwing it away. But it's something like, like you mentioned with the, the Penn and Teller thing, there's like, you have no idea how much has gone into like a joke that seems like I just came up with this little extra antidote or this little extra comment off the top of my head. Yeah. But I had it. I had that pigeon under my armpit for an hour yeah. waiting to use it, <laughs> but it seems like I just pulled yeah. it out of nowhere, but I knew exactly what I was doing. And that's, mm-hmm. That's the art of a lot of comedy is like being having that much discipline, that stuff well, ready. Also, you have like a, you have like a script, and then and then you just add things like the script. The script yeah. is like a base. But the, but the, I think, yeah, that's very yeah. true. I and, think like a lot of stand-ups work that way, where they yeah. have their jokes written sort of verbatim, but they'll kind of loosen up the way they say them night to night to see if it right, gets the a little better. Is it a little better if I add a little? Yeah. Or they'll like, or they'll have like the punchlines memorized, but because they don't want it to feel like forced and go, like they'll kind of like yeah. get to it. They're like, I gotta hit these three beats and then I gotta hit the punchline. Yeah, 
and and it's, it's like, just kind of. I mean, it's like you have to say these important things, and then you can just add whatever you yeah. want, basically. I mean, that's but that is one type of comedy. But then you get like the Stephen Wrights of the world, where it's just all joke, joke, yeah. joke, joke, joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but those are the kind of comics I think I appreciate the most, where it just feels like they're just telling you a story. Yeah. But all these things are supremely worked out. I mean, I, it's funny, I, I, I haven't thought about this in years, but I, like, I used to be a doorman at a movie theater in Winnipeg. It was like one of my first jobs. It was at the Capitol Theater in Winnipeg, which is long gone, but at the time it was this like, it used to be a vaudeville theater. It was this huge, beautiful theater that, that turned, got turned into a tuplex where like movies would go to die in Winnipeg before they could finally get released on home video. So it'd be like, there'd be like 20 people watching a movie in a theater for like, you know, that could hold like 400 people or whatever. But every once in a while there'd be, it would be pretty full for particular movies. And one of the things that I used to do a lot when I would do my patrols, like go make sure people don't have their feet on the seats, make sure people aren't drinking, whatever. As I would start to time those patrols on parts of movies that I knew were funny. Oh, nice. Because I just like to stand at the back and listen to everybody laugh. Because there is like this vicarious pleasure in hearing people get surprised by that little bit of a joke that takes you by surprise and makes you actually laugh out loud. Yeah. Mm. And there's, and to watch the same jokes kill reliably night after night. Different people. At the different, different people, but yeah. always work. But then to see other ones really vary. It was, yeah. that was really interesting. And I, I, I wonder if that was actually like an early part of like your training my comedy education was hundred percent sort of like, Putting I, all those do- jokes under the microscope and seeing how like a movie, like a dog of a movie, like Harlem Nights, Eddie Murphy, has like two jokes that never failed. And to sort of watch like, well, that's like the only part of the movie that everyone liked. Well, they really like it. Amazing. And other movies where it's like all the way through, people are just losing it. That's totally part of your training. And that's something that I think I did in a, in a different way when I was a kid. Like I would just bring, kind of like what I do now as an adult. Oh my God, I've come full circle. But I would like have if I saw a movie I loved, I would then either try to get my parents to buy it for me, or I'd rent it again and invite friends over to watch it, mm-hmm. and I'd want to see how they reacted to it and oh, study yeah, them. Definitely. It's stressful to show people something that you really love because yeah. you're worried. waiting for them to love it as much as you do, and it's like, and, well, it's revealing a part of yourself. Why are you don't don't worry about the snacks? Like, what, this is yeah, set yeah. up here. You can't miss this setup here. But now, like when I when my movies are in festivals, I and I'm traveling with the film. If I go to the festival. If there's three screenings, I sit through every screening of the movie, and people are think, think I'm insane. They're like, "Why do you want to watch your movie three times that many times?" I'm like, it's "I'm not." It's my movie. No, I'm not watching the movie. Right. I'm watching the I'm people. studying the audience and going, yeah. "What what works every time, right. and what are the nuances that sometimes work and don't always need to work every time, and yeah. that's fine." Yeah. But it's like, do they work? In one, do they at least work somewhere? Yeah. yeah. Did one audience laugh at that one little joke that I made just for me? And usually they do. And every yeah. now and then they don't. You're like, oh, that joke never worked anywhere. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's like that's the only way you can kind of, especially in comedy, I think it's super mm. important to study your audience because yeah, that's kind of what the whole point of it is. And it, I mean, I, back in my theater days, I had a show that, that I did that I wrote, and it was me and one other actor in it. But the first half of it, I was on stage by myself, and it had a lot of comedy in it. And it was amazing the difference between that show playing in a really small 60-seat venue in Toronto and then moving to, uh, and then moving to you know, 150 seats where the first row was a lot farther away. And then moving to playing out of town, like playing in Gananoque. Like the difference in the audience reaction was huge. And, and I thought, you know, if you'd talk to me after like the first run of the show was done, before any of the remounts where it played in different towns, I would have thought I knew everything there was to know about comedy and I'd figured it out for the show, but then to have to readjust for different crowds and different set, different sensibilities yeah. was, was really interesting. Yeah. Well, especially comedy, like live theater comedy, you're feeding off the audience. And so based on how the first five minutes of the show goes, yeah. the tone will shift and change in how it might be a little bit faster. Yeah. It might be a little bit slower. It might be like you start to feel the wave and wh- whether you can take a bit of a moment. How long is that pause going to be? Yeah. You know, where mm. in the film, you've got to guess how long a pause you need for a big joke, mm-hmm. you know. But that's also something that having, you know, as someone who tries to do a couple of big jokes in my movies that I know are going to 
you know, the land of the audience, having been to these screenings and knowing how long those big moments can sustain a joke, I know how much pause to put before the next moment comes right. in and be. And, and we, I'm sure we both heard about like the lengths that some of those big comedies, big Hollywood comedies will go in the test screenings to tweak things for timing. Yeah. Or for like the nuance of a joke because they're trying to get it to be, be like a bigger joke or a more reliable joke. Yeah, but it reminds me of that that joke in Annie Hall with the the, the laugh machine. It's like, give me a big guffaw here, oh, yeah. <laughs> a light a light chuckle. Yeah. All right, you guys are fading. Yeah, you guys did great. Yeah. Thank you for laughing at the movie I like. <laughs> you may continue to live with me, All right. Jack. Uh-huh. Are you gonna watch uh-huh. Pee Wee's Playhouse tomorrow morning, Eve? Pee-wee's Playhouse? Is that your part of your screen time next screen time? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I think you should check it out. Alright, well thanks for coming over, guys. Thanks for having us over. Yeah, thanks. This was super fun. Let's all thanks for joining us for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.